Our scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. It'll be behind me. If you want to look in the Pew Bible, it's on page 863. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him continues on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. For the last several weeks, we have been working our way through the book of 1 John in a series we've simply entitled, What's Love Got to Do With It? And we've, we've looked at different dynamics of, of what love looks like and how we experience it, how we understand it, and, and we've discovered that love is sacrificial. Um, but it's important because in just a few verses beyond where Karen read for us, John makes this statement. He says, little children, speaking to all of the church, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed, in other words, in action and in truth. If we're going to talk about love, that's great, but it's far more important that we put it into action and we engage our lives into love. And so before I actually get to the, to the message, uh, I wanna give us a challenge and an opportunity for us to express love in a practical way. Um, earlier, Preston prayed for, for dignity and for Tom and for Petra and for the team that works with, with dignity. Um, they focus in, if you're not familiar with them, they do a lot of work with refugees here in the Czech Republic, and many of those refugees come and see us uh, every other week or so at um, the Bridge Center, and so we've gotten to form relationships, and they're from people from all over the world, and each story, each circumstance is unique. The reason that they're there, the reason that they're here in the Czech Republic, they're different, but in the process, um, Many of them that are at the refugee center in Kostelets are discovering that they're going to um, they're going to lose where they've been able to stay. The room that they've they've had to be able to to sleep in is going away, and and so they're scrambling to try to find out 
how do, we, how do we live? Because they're not in a position where they can necessarily get a job because of paperwork. Um, many of them are, are willing, but not necessarily able to, to do that. And, and many of them cannot go home because to go home to their home country would be a death sentence. So they're stuck. And they're kind of in this in-between state waiting to find out what's gonna happen to them. So two things that we can do to be very practical. Um, uh, in next week, we have several of them that are being expelled, I guess is the best word I know to use for that, and they have nowhere to go, nowhere to stay, and so there's two things I wanna ask us to do. Number one, um, John goes on and, and says not only we're to love in, uh, in action and in truth, but he tells us that if we have the, the world's goods, that we need to use those in serving the needs of others. And so what we're gonna do at the end of the service is we're gonna have a, a, an exit offering. If you're able to, to give, you're, there's also instruction in your bulletin if you'd rather do that online. But we're gonna have some baskets at the, at the back and also I'll give a basket to Tom and Petra to put on the table. And if you'd like to help and just provide for a, an immediate need for some of these families, um, I just wanna encourage you to do that. And so what I'm gonna do is I have some baskets here and I'm gonna just ask, Henry's gonna take one of those, you don't have to do it now, but just stay there. If you'll do an exit offering over there and I'll ask Pavel, will you do an exit offering on this side? And, and you'll notice I primed the baskets, okay? So there's something in there because I'm expecting God to do some really cool things in meeting these needs. So anyway, that's an opportunity for us to give. For others, maybe you can't financially give, uh, and that's at the end of the service, so you guys can just wait until we get there. But maybe, you're, maybe you have some space. Maybe you're able to provide a room for a week or two for someone to kind of help get over that crisis time. And, and if so, if that's something you want to find out more, there'd be lots of questions. Tom and Petra, um, will you guys raise your hand for just a second? Right, right back here, this amazing couple will be in the foyer to, to kind of give you information, to talk about what that might look like and, um, and answer some of the questions that you might have. But I wanna encourage us to, to live like Jesus' hands and feet. Um, there's a verse in Hebrews that has, I don't really know the right word to describe it. It has haunted me. And so I'm gonna read it to you, but I'm gonna tell you that it's a very risky verse for me, God used this verse to send me more than once into war zones, uh, into places where there was great conflict and difficulty um, because that was what I know he was calling me. That's not the call he's gonna place on all of our lives. But, but here's what it says, Hebrews 10. It says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you discovered the gospel, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to repo repro yeah, reproach, reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, being companions with those who are hurting. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. What he's saying is there's a blessing when we share in the burdens of those who are hurting and who are struggling. And, and it, it's a blessing that reflects the love of Christ and what he has done for us. 
And so I'm just asking the Lord will show us how to become companions, partners with those who are hurting and who are afflicted. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you even for the times when it is convicting and challenging and pushes us way beyond our comfort zone. But Lord, would you show us how to live as a people, as your hands and feet. So many of these people who um, are in these refugee camps do not know you. They have not experienced your love. And Lord, you've called us to be your representatives, to show them what you are like. And Lord, that is our prayer, is that they will see the truth of who Jesus is. Wherever they end up in the, in the end, whatever country or nation, Lord, this is a divine opportunity for them to encounter you. And we pray that you will show us how to love. Lord, show us how to love as well in our families and in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, with the people that you bring into our life day after day. Show us, Lord, how to rightly represent you in such a way that others will discover the truth and the joy of knowing Jesus. Lord, now as we examine your word, I pray that you would let me get out of the way and that you would speak And Lord, that you would just um, remind us of who we are in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, today we're gonna focus in on destiny. You and I have a destiny. Now, the, the word destiny is, is, gets thrown around a lot, but here's, here's what it means. Destiny, your destiny, my destiny, is an event or accomplishment in our life, or an identity that has been firmly established but not yet realized. It is something that is happening. It's not, it's not a maybe. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that God has written into the fabric of history, even though we've not yet experienced it, that he is gonna accomplish. And you and I, if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you have an incredible destiny. And if we don't focus in on what destiny God has for us, we will miss out on how we, how we are to live here and now. Because you see, there's a, there's a truth that applies to many areas of life. Your expectation will determine your outcome. What you believe about yourself, about God, about your circumstances will determine how you live. And so we want to make sure that our belief is not based upon our feelings, not based upon what we think, not based upon what others say, but upon the word of God and what he is directing us to do. So when it comes to your destiny, to the identity that God has given you, to the things he wants to accomplish in you and through you, what are you expecting? What are you expecting God to do in your life and through your life? And are your expectations big or are they really small? I hope today that your expectation grows to match the size of our destiny. We're gonna focus in on one verse especially that is absolutely incredible. Let me read it to you again. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But right in there is a glimpse at your destiny, at who you truly are. And that's where we want to begin, because this passage that we're going to read in these few verses answers all the questions that we have. It answers why, what, how, where, and when. The deep questions of our life are actually all found in this this passage. There are answers. And it begins with simply asking the question, who are you? Now, um, when you hear that question, there's usually a lot of things that come to mind. We may tell someone our name. We may tell someone about something that we do. We may tell someone about our relationships. But is that who you truly are? Well, maybe to try to help us um, encounter this and think about this question at a different level, um, I have a prop. I know that surprises everyone. I do have a song today, too, because some of you are disappointed. You haven't heard what the song is yet. It's coming. Don't worry. Um, But I have a prop. And, you know, uh, there's a new thing that we, um, you see now beginning to permeate all the malls, and that is novelty socks. I have here a lovely pair of Kermit the Frog socks. So, yeah, yeah. How many of you know who Kermit is? I know it's, it's an American thing, so most, most of you know who Kermit, he gets, he's gotten around over the years, this is good. Well, this pair of socks, the Kermit socks, represent who I think other people think of me. You can see, you can see the connection, right? That's like when they look at me, they, in my mind, I somewhat think, yeah, he's a, he might be a little like, like Kermit. You know, an okay guy, kind of quiet, a little weird, kind of green. Um, you know, but, but not bad, not, not bad. Well, I want you to think about your identity. How much of your identity is based upon what you think others think of you? Is that really who you are? Is your identity based on what others think? That's one option. Actually, I was, I was throwing it to Carolina. <laughs> It was a bad, it was a bad toss. That's all right. All right, that's all right. I have more, I have more, okay. Well, maybe your identity isn't made so much about what others think of you, it's made up by what you do. And so I have this amazing pair of Pac-Man socks right here. I liked these. The Pac-Man socks can represent what we do either at work, um, because if you really enjoy your job, it's kind of like a game. It was a stretch. I didn't find any like construction socks or business socks, no accounting socks, so Pac-Man had to do it. But are you finding your identity in what you do, either in your work or in your pleasure, in the things that you enjoy doing? Is that what defines you? In a sense, do you have a performance mindset? That as long as things are going well, as long as you're successful, as long as you're winning and your score goes up compared to others, you feel good about yourself. Does that define your identity? Does anybody like Pac-Man? All right, we'll see. Someday I'm gonna get one of those t-shirt cannons so I can hit the balcony. All right, maybe, maybe you're not based, don't worry, it's coming. Um, maybe you're not based on your, your identity on on your performance, maybe 
You're basing your identity on your relationships. And here I have this lovely <laughs> puppies with hearts. Isn't that, it's, isn't that cute? Do the relationships that you have, are, is that where you're drawing your identity from? Is that defining who you are? And when your relationship is going well, you feel good about yourself, you feel like you have a purpose and a meaning, but when relationships are strained, it's much more difficult, and you begin to lose a sense of who you are. Anybody like puppies? All right. Okay, it's, we're getting there. Maybe, for some of you, maybe that's not what <laughs> defines you. Maybe the things that you consume define who you are. The pleasures that you have, just like this set of french fries that I have right here. The things that you desire. Do your desires determine your identity? And as long as your desires are being met, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Or if you're not feeling good about yourself, you'll just go and get some more fries. All right? Any, anybody willing to admit that maybe that defines you at least to some degree, or you just like french fries? Anyway, okay, okay. Well, I don't know how far they'll get, but there you go. All right, now, I'm almost done. Don't worry. Some of you are not defined by the desires that you have, but you might be defined by denying those desires. So in other words, your identity is actually secured by what you choose not to do. So rather than having the french fries, you go for broccoli, okay? <laughs> You, you have chosen to deny yourself the pleasures of french fries and burgers and pizza. See, it would have been pizza fries for me. I mean, pizza socks for me all the way. But you're defined by what you choose not to do, to, not to partake in. See, anybody really like broccoli? All right, way back, not a very good toss. There you go. All right, all those are ways that we can have a relationship distortion of our, excuse me, uh, an identity distortion of who we are. Because see, none of those things is who you are. They may be a part of what you do. They may be a part of the experiences and the feelings that you have, but God says you are something much more. And whereas it, it may not be a very cool looking pair of socks, he says the authentic you, that's what it says on this pair of socks, is something much greater. What did he say that you are? He said you are a child of God. That is your identity. Now here's the truth. Many of us believe that in our minds, but if we were to look and examine our heart, what we would discover is that we believe that is what we will become. It's almost like we, we know the paperwork for our adoption has been done, but we're still waiting for that moment when the parent comes to the orphanage, the new parent, and takes us. And in a sense, we feel like the time when we really become a child of God is when we die and enter into the presence of the Lord. But that's not what the scripture tells us. He doesn't say you will become a child of God. He says that's who you are. And, and so that's what I want us to do is to think about what it means to be a child of God. 
the term that he chooses here, when he chooses child, is very important. It's very specific. Because what John is saying is this is your true identity if you have faith in Jesus Christ. The term child of God in this verse carries with it a legal aspect that determines our relationship, our position, and our status. In relationship, we are a child of God because he loves us. Not because we earn it, not because we're good looking, not because we're amazing at the things that we do, it's simply because he loves us. It also determines our position. In Christ Jesus, we are declared joint heirs. In other words, all the prize that Jesus won for us by giving us his righteousness and his defeat of sin and death through his death, burial, and resurrection, that is now our inheritance. You are a joint heir with Jesus. In other words, he's saying all the privileges that I deserve, I'm willingly giving to you. That's our position. And our status, when we understand that we are God's children, that we can't earn that status, that means also we can't lose it. Because it's not based on what we have done, it's based on what Jesus Christ did for us. You can't be unadopted. Because when God adopts you as as his child through faith in Jesus Christ, It is a fixed status that we have. We can wound the relationship, we can sin, but we can't lose that relationship if it is authentic to begin with. So that brings us to our song. And and, and let's just go ahead and play it. Let this one stick in your... That's the question the scripture is asking us today. Who are you really? Are you living like who God says you are? Or are you basing your identity on something different? Roger Daltrey, who wrote this song, he wrote it at a time when he really was trying to figure out who he was. His identity had had become lost in the image of a rock star more than as a person. And the album version of the song includes an extra verse compared with the much shorter single that you would have heard on the radio if you're my age. Um, And and there was a lost verse in the mix of the song that was re-released that spoke more directly to, to where he was as a person. Here's what it said. I used to check my reflection Jumping with my cheap guitar, I must have lost my direction because I ended up a superstar. One night I was in the boardroom, affected by the human race. You can learn from my mistakes, but you're just posing in the glass again. 
trying to figure out who you are. He had success, he had fame, but what he had lost was his identity. And that can happen to each and every one of us. John, in his writing to us as the church, wants us to recover our identity. Because here's the, here's the truth. Just as in our world today, the fastest growing crime is identity theft, the greatest spiritual crime is also identity theft. Because the enemy is seeking to redefine your life so that you will not live like who God says you are. He wants to steal away your identity. So what does he say here in John? Backing up to verse 28, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The first aspect of our destiny, uh, which is rooted in our true identity, is that we see the reminder that Jesus Christ is coming back. We need to set our expectations on the fact that he is returning, and he's returning for us. He's returning to complete history, but he's returning for you and I and all of his church. God in his word wants us to remember that no matter how things look on the outside, no matter how difficult um, the circumstances in our life or in the world is, he is still in control and that God is coming back. That gives us hope to keep us focused on the right thing. And his return is also a reminder of how we are to live. We, when you live with confidence that Jesus is coming, and perhaps is even coming today, it changes your behavior. It changes your hope. All of a sudden, the things that weigh heavily on you become lighter because you're remembering that it's temporary. The problem that you have at work, the problem that you have in your relationship the financial struggle that you're going through, all those are temporary. And when we remember that Christ is coming back, it changes our perspective. And we need to remember that our expectation does determine our outcome. Are we living as if we expect Jesus to return? And verse 29 then prompts us into action. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. He's reminding us that the way to be secure and not be worried about whether you'll be ashamed that Jesus is coming is to examine and see if there's change happening in your life. Are we becoming more like Christ? And then he gets in chapter three, verse one, to remind us who we are. Let me read it again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Our adoption is not based on anything that we do, but on the love of the Father. That we should be called children of God. And I want you to look at the last phrase, and so we are. Not something we become, it's something we are. In the first half of the letter, John teaches us how to stay in relationship and fellowship with God. In the second half of his letter, he's reminding us of who we are as sons and, God, sons and daughters of God through Christ. And so we are is, is a present reality. 
If you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are a child of God right now. Absolutely secure. It's not something you become. It's not a maybe. It is an absolute fact. But do you believe it? And are you living as if that's true? You will never become more of a child of God than you are right now. It's not like we get a bonus round and become somehow more of his child. Now, if you could see this, some of you are, are parents, others are not. Um, Trevor mentioned earlier, we had the joy this week uh, of having another grandson be born. And, and I was so delighted to hear about little Thomas with Bex and Dan. Um, but when we got to, to see, even from afar on FaceTime, our, our grandson, even though I've not held him yet, little Cadence, Jericho, John, Stevens, my children are weird like their father. They come up with unique names. Um, I can't wait to hold him. But let me tell you, he is already my grandchild, fully. And when we look into his eyes, what we're doing, we're, we're looking to see what he's like, what, he's, what God's design is for him. And our hearts are getting fuller and fuller with love for him, even though we've not yet touched him. That's how God sees you, with hearts of love saying, you are mine, you're my child. I want you to live like who you are. And he gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee that we are his children. This is what he tells us in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're to live out who we are in Christ. We're to live out of our, our relationship, our position, and our status as who we are. So what does it mean to be a child of God? How, it means ultimately that we share his life. Second Peter has a great commentary on this in, ver, in chapter one, verses three and four. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he also granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. What's he saying? He's saying, if you see yourself as a child of God and you rely on me and you let my word live within you, you'll tap into this, this resource of my life, of my divine nature, and you'll become more and more like Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's his promise. God has granted us every resource. You have everything you need for a godly life you have everything you need to become a partaker of the divine nature like Jesus. This is who we are now, not who we will be. Never again let us think that a Christian is someone who is trying to do better to improve their conduct and so attain to a higher level. God has already given it to you. 
It's now up to us to live like who we are. That's what he's calling us to do. Much of the unhappiness that we experience in life is because we fail to remember our true identity in Christ. We are full of fear, insecurity, and sadness because we're striving for significance, we're striving to matter, we're striving to succeed. We wrestle with fear because we're afraid that we will never measure up. But when you know that God has already said, I love you, it takes away that fear and allows you the freedom to live like who he says you are, as a child of God. What more could we ever want than that? (laughs) Why do you long to win the lottery when Christ, who already owns everything, has said, you're my joint heir. It's all yours as well in me. That's the joy we have. Knowing who we are changes our perspective on everything. So who we are is a child of God. Now, why are you who you are? We already mentioned this. We are a child of God, not based upon our performance, not based on how well we do, but because God loves you and chose you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. God gives us adoption. He loves you and gives us his love willingly knowing everything about you and everything about me. And that truth should cast out our fear. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do for me. Jesus said it in the the same way. Don't be anxious about what you will wear or what you will eat. Don't be anxious about material things. Remember that I provide for you. I love you. Should we be responsible and and be excellent workers? Absolutely. But we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be fearful. There's a connection between the love of money and fear. And the reason that it's mentioned in this way is understanding that fear is a control issue. We are afraid because we cannot control our circumstances. We falsely believe that if we had enough money, we would be in control, but we won't be. We don't need to be fearful. We need to live like we're a child of God. And John, and John emphasizes this in chapter four in verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God not only loves us, he chose us. He wants us. Do you believe that? Do you believe he wants you? Or deep, thank you, <laughs> Or deep down, do you think somehow he's like obligated by a contract to take you? Because you said a prayer and somehow in your mind you've convinced yourself he really isn't that interested in me. He is. In fact, Ephesians says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love 
He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He wants us. And that is incredible. So that's who we are. How to be us. How are we to really live like a child of God? Well, he tells us that in this passage as well. He says to abide in Christ. Abide simply means live in. Make Jesus your heart's home. That's in essence what it means. Abide means to live out your relationship and your identity in Christ on a daily basis, remembering who you are. That's what he says in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. We are to live in him. He is the source of our life in everything. He's the source of our identity. And here's here's why that's so important. Your identity directs your behavior, not the other way around. Who you are to determine how you live. If how you live determines who you are, then the enemy has already stolen your true identity. Don't let him twist it and making you think you're less than who God says you are. We must abide in him as the source of our life, not our performance. He is the one who makes us significant. Don't try harder. Instead, surrender to Christ and ask him to live his life through you. Recognize that he is your life. He is your joy. He is your everything. This is why Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we abide in him. Well, the next one is the where. Where are you to live this identity? It's not just for heaven. Look at verse two of chapter three. Beloved, we are God's children. What's the next word? It's not up there, is it? Now, thank you. We are God's children now. It's not something that we have to wait to heaven. This is who you are now. Far too often we live as if Jesus came to save us from hell and take us to heaven. That is not why he came and why he saved you. That is the result of salvation and it is the promise Uh, that Jesus gives to us, but Jesus came that you and I might have abundant life, his life, eternal life, beginning right now, not just in the future. God gave us his spirit as a guarantee and to enable us to live for Christ now. What will we become like? The short answer is found in verse two. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We're gonna unpack this part next week and and look a little bit at our future in our destiny. But the most important thing that you need to see is that we are going to be like Jesus. We are gonna come more and more like who he is. Is that what's happening in your life? Is there a change that's happening, a transformation in how you live? The evidence of our faith is a transformed life. That's why verses 
um, 9 and 10 give us a test. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, his deposit, his spirit abides in him, and he can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. We are changed at the very essence of who we are. Will we, will we sin? Will we rebel? Yes. But will we make a practice of it? Not if we're in Christ. And not if we understand our identity as a child of God. So has Jesus changed you? Is he making a difference in you? And here's the great news. Because I, I know I look at my life and I see the things that I struggle with. And I feel like a failure and I feel like, Lord, your patience has gotta be getting thin because I keep doing the same stupid things over and over again. But in truth, he is changing me and he is changing you. And here's the great news. Jesus will not quit on you. Listen to what he says in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God doesn't give up on us. He is changing us to be more and more like Jesus. That's our destiny. Our destiny is to become like him. When you read in the word how Jesus interacts with people, his love, his patience, his kindness, his courage, his strength, his boldness, all those are things that God wants to transform us more and more into his likeness. That's our destiny, is to become like him. At his return, we will be physically transformed, given a new body. Um, This body wears out, but he gives us a new body that is like his, and we'll we'll look at this in depth a little bit next week um, in the transformation but he's changing us on the inside even now to become more and more like who Jesus is. He's our destiny. So what do we do with it? If that's our destiny, then to fulfill it, we need to be who we are in Christ. We simply need to live like who God says we are. 1 John 3.3 says this, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You see, when we allow our identity to be defined by our desires, by our feelings, by what other people think, or at least what we think other people think, we will never have wholeness in our life. And we will wrestle continually with significance, with fear, We'll wrestle, significant, uh, we'll, we'll wrestle greatly with performance instead of being able to rest in God, in his will for our life, and allowing him to change how we see our world, how we see ourselves, how we see others. And in that process, he purifies us. The way to overcome struggles in your life with sin is to remember who you are in Christ and say, Lord, that's not how I wanna live. And it's not about punishment, it's about relationship. You see, I don't want to sin because I don't want to wound my relationship with God. 
that's totally different than living out of fear of punishment. One is liberating, the other one imprisons us. And God wants to set you free to live as who he says you are. If our hope is to be like Jesus someday, then shouldn't we seek to be more and more like him now? If Christ-likeness is our destiny, shouldn't we be pursuing his likeness now? Heavenly Father, would you make that the desire of our heart? To be like your son, Jesus, who lovingly sacrificed himself for us. Lord, it's so easy to listen to the messages of the world, to listen to the messages of our own desires, and to find our identity in something far less than what we truly are. We live in a world where the messages are you are the things that you desire or you are your performance, you are your success, you are what other people think of you, but all of those are deception. So Lord, would you help us to take our identity and place it firmly in you? You have said we are now children of God because you love us and chose us. Because we've responded to your love by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, help us to live as your children so that others may see the goodness of who you are and so that we may bring honor and glory to your name in our life, in our love, in our faithfulness. Lord, would you speak to each and every heart here? Well, I, I don't know that I was able to articulate how powerful this is, but Lord, I know it's true. I don't want others to discover who they truly are in you. So Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Would you remind us that we belong to you and then change us so that we live and look more and more like Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.